are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bibles now, please, to Mark chapter, Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, and verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. I want to talk this morning a little while about famous people, famous people. I want you to think with me. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, Mark 12, 41, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many of the rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciple, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they that have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast into their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I submit to you that that little lady was famous. A famous lady because she gave everything she had. She cast in all she had. Now that's giving your best. And that's what God wants out of you. Amen. He wants your best. Yes. He wants all of you. And miracles take place when you say, yes, Lord, I give you my best. Let me illustrate. In Chattanooga, Tennessee, we have a hospital called Campbell's Clinic. I made visits there all of the time to see my people who are sick. And I uh, kept meeting one nurse. And uh, I, I, I'd speak to her when I'd go by. She was the head of, the, head of all the nurses. You know, she ran the whole hospital. And uh, one day she stopped me and said, wait a minute. But I feel led of God. I feel led of God to quit my job at this hospital and come to Tennessee Temple and go to school and trained to be a missionary. She had been away from late, in late 20s, near 30. And I said, well, if God led you, you do what God said. And listen, she did it. She gave up a big job, came to school, and went summer, winter and summer straight on through. We had summer school and all, and finished in uh, about two years and a half, she was through. She'd had some work before. And they sent her out to the Sudan of Africa, way down in there. Africa Inland Mission, and she began working and, and finished up one term and came home. And oh, how she stirred the hearts of people. A big, tall girl, uh, not, not beautiful by any means, but, but very, very pleasant, and would stand before audiences and they'd listen to her. And they were thrilled by it. And she spent a year home on furlough, then went back again to the same field and went right back to winning people to Christ in, in Africa, leading folks and doing the work of a missionary. And on that second time out, a young man came by one day who was working for the British government, taking a survey in the Sudan. And uh, they met, and they became friends. They fell in love with each other, and they were married out on that mission field and, uh, and began serving God. Now, he kept on being an engineer, a highly paid engineer. She kept on as a missionary on the, on the mission compound, and they worked together. They lived in a little grass hut. I've seen a picture of it. You know how they used to have pictures of these uh, grass-covered buildings in, the, in Africa. And they lived in a little gra grass hut and uh, were going along and very, very happy. She was uh, doing a mission work and he was doing his work on the, in the engineer, engineering and, and uh, legal field. And uh, uh, one morning she got up and got breakfast at a little house, just a little long, narrow place with a grass root. And got the breakfast ready and called out and said, Mike, come on, we're ready. And no answer. She called again, no answer. 
And she would rush back to the back and lying in bed. And he said, I can't move. I can't move. My legs won't move at all. And, of course, she sent to the doctor, and they did all they could, and then put him in the hospital and finally sent him on to London, paralyzed from his waist down, paralyzed completely, big, handsome fellow, but paralyzed, couldn't walk at all. And uh, they, they gave him no hope. And so after some time, they decided to come to Chattanooga, and I got him an apartment right next to my house. And we built a little rampway to run his wheelchair up that up that, in that in that apartment right next to our home on, on Bailey Avenue, and uh, they were there, and we got to see them often. And Michael Warburton became quite well known to people around Chattanooga on that in that wheelchair. And one morning, I'm walking down the street, going back to school, and down the down around the corner came Mike Warburton in a wheelchair, and he came rolling down the street at full speed, big muscular fellow, but paralyzed from his waist down, and he stopped and said, "Brother Robertson." God's called me to be a missionary. Oh, is it my God bless you? That's wonderful, but you couldn't do it. You can't, you can't walk. He said, you didn't hear what I said. He said, God has called me to be a missionary. Uh, amen. Well, I said, if God's called you, then you've got to do it. Amen. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to. And he entered school and got his training from us. And the two of them went back to Southern Rhodesia in Africa, the two of them. And he's in a wheelchair. And she was active as a, a missionary nurse and worker among the people. And they served God and did a beautiful, wonderful job. And uh, God blessed them on, on that field. And then came a day in the home when he said that certain things he couldn't do. And had to give up and change some things, some revamping of things. But God blessed him and God used him. I'm not going to give the whole story. The last time I went to, to London, England, I got off the plane to walk inside. And right inside of the glass barrier between the, where the, the passengers come in and the people, I saw him sitting in a wheelchair. And she was by his side. They'd come all the way up from northern Rhodesia to London to see me and to be there when I arrived in the city on that occasion. But I'm trying to show you something. This matter gave me a life to God. And this young lady, a missionary, a nurse, and then a missionary, and this man, the engineer, and then the accident came, the uh, illness came that took his uh, walking away from him and still serving God and living for God. Now, you make up your mind. To me, people like that are famous. I can forget the much of the world outside, but I, my hat comes off to those who are serving God in spite of hardships and difficulty. They're living for God. Yeah, a little girl walked in the office one day and said, my name is Florine Guess. And said, Brother Robertson, God's called me to come to school. I don't have any money. And would you let me come? I said, sure. And I said, I'll give you a job. You have to wait on tables, whatever it is. And you work your way through and I'll let you go. And a little Florine Guest came in. And when she went out to the mission field on the Sudan Interior Mission in Africa and went out the great missionary, Florine Guess, and I'd helped her all the way through. She stayed on the mission field for 30 years. She retired now as secretary for the mission board down in Natchez, Mississippi, working for him still, and uh, a retired missionary, but serving God. What I'm talking about, about famous people. Yes. Now, yes. the world outside will have its famous folks, but we have people who are famous yes. because of what they do for God. Yes. 
Now you live your life in such a way that you're somebody. I don't, you're not ordinary. You're somebody. You're living for God. You're serving God. You're not in the routine. You're not in the rut of just letting things go by, but you're living for God completely, entirely saying, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. I surrender everything I have to you. I submit my life to you, my whole life. And I want God to use me. And I want to be known as one who is faithful to the Lord in every way. I was having dinner one day in Richmond, Virginia, at a very beautiful home. A lovely lady and uh, certain members of the family there and the pastor there. We were around the table. I saw the lady at the house. Put down one plate in front of her. Then put another plate and put it on this side. And they began passing the food around. And she put the food in her plate, then got put in another plate. I said, uh, after a while, when she finished and the plate was full, I said, ma'am, uh, I noticed you're putting, filling up a second plate. Is there someone sick? I said, well, not exactly, but said, uh, I do this all the time. And, uh, well, I said, good, I know who it is. And yes, come with me. She reached over and picked up that uh, plate of food and began walking back through the house. This in Richmond, Virginia. And came to the back and she opened up the door, went into a very nice large room. And in the center of the room, a big bed. And lying in the bed, a young man. And we'll forget his hair was black, rather long, lying there. And she said, this is my son. My son is 32 years old. He's never walked. I've cared for him now for 32 years. Just like I'm doing today. 32 long years. And I, I, the boy couldn't talk, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't make conversation, not, didn't have the mind, didn't have the body, couldn't get him to walk. And for 32 years, that mother taking care of that boy. Think of that. Now, wait a minute. I'm talking about famous people, famous people. Not, not this, uh, uh, this crowd on the outside that uh, makes a lot of money and have a big show and everything. No, I'm talking about folks who are actually famous. I'm talking men like, like Lester Roloff. Lester Roloff was famous, and he suffered for God. I'm thinking about men like John R. Rice. John R. Rice was famous, couldn't get around that. Famous in it, read his books, read what he had to say. I'm thinking of men like J. Frank Norris that I knew personally, a great fundamentalist. I'm thinking of a man like Charles Weigel, a songwriter, who wrote the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus, and lived with me for many, many years uh, until he passed away at 95. Dr. Weigel, uh, these were famous people. Now, uh, I want to tell you a little word about being famous and being well-known. Number one, be famous and be well-known for your faith in God. Number one, your faith in God. Now, that's the first thing. And in your life and mine, there must be that exemplification of faith in God at all times. People have got to see that we know God, we love him, and we're following him. And never vary, never change, never cry, never whimper, never give up. But say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Now, have faith in God. Mark 11, 22. Saving faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Living faith in Romans 10 and 17. And a praying faith, if he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And a stabilizing faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And on and on. Now, build your faith. Build your faith in God. Build your faith on the Word of God. And build your faith on your past experience. Has God ever failed you? No. You're here this morning, aren't you? He never failed you, and you know it. Now build your faith on what God has done for you. And say, dear Lord, I want to go on. And build your faith on, on the faith of others as you see what God done for others. If he can do it for them, do it for you. He's no respecter of persons. 
And we'll honor you and we'll bless you and we'll help you. Now, put down the first thought. Be known, be famous for your faith in God. Not for your whimpering, not for your crying, not for your complaining, but by your faith in God. See, that's the thing that makes the difference. And you're serving God. And your people love you. They respect you because of your faith, your dynamic faith that just overlooks everything and keeps on going for God. And let you be, be famous for your faith. Number two, be famous for the purity of your life. Be famous for the purity of your life. Now, that's an old-fashioned word, but that's a good one and unique. We're living in a dirty world, a world of sin, of immorality, of vulgarity. Am I right? I mean, this is a dirty, messy world and getting worse all of the time. It's worse in Washington. It's worse in Chicago. It's worse than San Francisco. It's everywhere. And the awful living of people. Now you be famous and be known for the purity of your life. Come out from among them and be your shepherds, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Now purity brings power in prayer. And purity brings power, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And purity will give you power in witnessing. And purity will make you have a great witness and a great life to live for Christ on the outside in the world. People know you as what you are for God. Now you can do the job and you must do the job be famous be known for the purity of your life number three be known be famous for your faithfulness your faithfulness Amen. first corinthians 4 2 more of it is required in the stewards that a man be found faithful faithfulness is for every person faithfulness in prayer be a prayer warrior and faithfulness in church attendance yep. sunday morning sunday evening wednesday night be faithful. Be in your place. Don't complain. Just be there and be known and be famous for your faithfulness. Uh, people can set their clock by you. They can uh, order their lives because they can look at you and know what you're doing. You're putting God first all of the time and you're honoring him and faithful in church. I came out of a church one Sunday morning in Chattanooga and we had a great morning hour and I came across to eat lunch with my students in the dining hall. Across Union Avenue, that's between the church and the school building. And uh, as I got crossing Union Avenue, uh, a voice called out to me. And a big man standing on the sidewalk walked out in the street. And I stopped and waited for him. He came out. He put his hand and said, my name is so-and-so. I'm a Baptist preacher up in Ohio. And uh, this my wife, my children, four children over on the one side, all standing on the sidewalk. And we're out in the middle of the street. And he said, I've heard about your work and about your church and what you're doing. And so forth. Well, to come out and see it. And that's just after 12 o'clock after the morning service. And I said, well, I'm glad to see you, sir, and glad to have you here. And I was on the verge of saying, bring your wife and your children and yourself and come on to the dining hall, have a Sunday dinner with us. I was on the verge of saying it. When I paused for a moment, I said, excuse me, sir, um, uh, where did you attend church this morning? Oh, he said, we didn't go to church this morning at all. We're on vacation. He didn't get dinner either. He missed dinner. You see, uh, I, I had no respect for someone's unfaithful. That's right. That's right. And when he said, uh, uh, we're on vacation, I said, we're not going to, he didn't go to church at all this morning for his wife and children, for himself, uh, a Baptist preacher. No, you don't do that. You're faithful to God's house. And all of that. Now, you be known for your faithfulness in church attendance and this important, and your faithfulness in work, in work. And do your job. Do the job given to you now as you work for Sunday for that 3,000 on the buses and in the work. You work for that and pray about it and keep going. And don't be a quitter. Don't give up, but keep on going. 
Had a young man in our school. Oh, what a talented fellow. He could preach. He could sing, sing like a nightingale. Beautiful voice, lovely voice, and a great personality. And could walk in, shake hands with, you know, the impressive kind. And uh, did the whole job. And uh, we loved him and sent him out. Became a pastor up north and pastored a while and kept him over. One day he walked in to see me. Walked in the office and stood in front of my desk, right in front of my desk. He said, Preacher, I'm quitting. I'm quitting the ministry. I'm quitting it all. I'm giving it all up. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I said, Hold it, hold it. Were you called to preach? He said, Yes, I'd call to preach, but I'm giving it up now. He said, uh, I've been mistreated by some of my members of my church. They, they've criticized me and uh, so forth. So I'm quitting and giving it all. I said, you don't do that. You don't quit. You never quit. He said, well, I'm quitting. I said, then you can't, you can't do that. And I argued with him and talked to him for a long time. I wanted to pray with him. He said, no, I didn't want that. And walked out. He quit. He quit. He did quit. He quit it all. He's now singing for a little dirty nightclub up near Louisville, Kentucky. I heard the other day. One little back thing back in the corner. Dirty, filthy place. I imagine a Baptist preacher. And a thing like that. And, and intelligent and smart. Good in school. Good grades. All of it. But didn't have it. Didn't have it. Now, you be known for your faithfulness. Let nothing shake you no matter what people say or what people do. You be faithful to the Lord. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every day in the week, in the school, in the church, in your home, in every way. You be faithful. Now be known for your faithfulness, your faithfulness. Let me hasten on. Number four. Be known, be famous for your unselfishness. Be known, be famous for your unselfishness. Philippians 1.21. For all seek their own, not that, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now you give of yourself. Give of yourself. Young men, young women, give yourself. Your talents, your life, your all, you give it to God. And be known for your unselfishness. And that's in all work. That's in bus work. That's an unselfish task. You're helping people. They can't, they can't give you anything. You're giving to them. And uh, you've got to feel that this is it. And you're known as one. You're giving yourself to the work of the Lord and serving God with all of your heart. And that's the imperative thing that you're now give of yourself time and talents and all to him and love God and serve God with all your heart. I'm up in Baltimore, Maryland in the meeting. I travel all of the time and I enjoy it. And a fellow came to me at the end of the Sunday morning service. Fine, well-dressed man. Walked up and shook my hand and said, Preacher, glad to have you here. Ah, he said, we love her, Jared, love her, Preacher. And I'm one of the deacons of the church, and I love to be here. And we talked for a little while, and the fellow walked away. And the pastor came into me and said, uh, just been talking to one of you men. I said, who is that fellow back there? That's the man talking to me. He said, that man is the richest man in Baltimore. He's a multimillionaire. He said, I doubt if he himself knows how much he's worth. He said, they own stores and factories and businesses. And he's one of my deacons. They got 12 deacons in the church. He's one of the deacons. Well, I said, boy, I'm glad to hear that. That's a good fellow to have in the church. But with all that money and all that uh, power and influence, that's one of them said, yes, he's a great man, a wonderful man. I went on through the day. I came to preach Sunday night in that beautiful church. That great crowd, good, good response. And uh, I finished up the service. And there are people going out the doors. Well, I had to look around. And I saw this man, the multimillionaire who runs the big businesses, had taken his coat off and was going through the building, putting his sewing books back in the racks. And then I saw him go back in the back and get a broom, begin sweeping by the floor. Then he left. And I found the, pre the preacher, what's that man doing? He said, oh, what he does every Sunday. 
He said, every Sunday night, he sends his wife home in one of the cars. They have two cars. They come to church in two cars, and she goes home, and he stays. He stays here until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. He cleans up the whole church from one end to the other. He sweeps every floor. He mops every bench, every pew. He does it all, and he does it all. He said, I must do it. This is what God wants me to do. And he said, I forget everything in the world. I want to spend some hours just doing what God has said me to do with my hands. I want to make my church a beautiful place, and I want to be used of God. I thought of that man, a millionaire. He could have hired somebody to do that for him. But he didn't. He won't do it himself. Now, you be faithful for your unselfishness and give of your means. Every Christian ought to be a tither. One tenth and then go beyond that. But give the tenth. Be sure that you, every Lord's day, I care not if you're a student. Student, you take your money that comes to you. That's in your hands to be used by you. And one tenth of it you give to the Lord. And you say, well, do that wouldn't have enough. No, you trust God on that. Amen. He'll take care of that. I went to my first church in Memphis, Tennessee, many years ago in 1930. And that's a long time ago. Amen. And uh, I got a room to live in at Snowden Circle, a beautiful place in Memphis, big park and a beautiful big house. And I found a room advertised up in the top third floor. And I got up there and I said, this would be fine. The church paid me 50 a month. I said, 50 a month. That's all. And uh, back in the old days, and little country church on the edge of Memphis, and I began. And uh, I had an old, old Ford car that would barely run. Gasoline was almost nothing back in that day, very, very cheap. And I knew how to repair the thing and keep it going and kept going. But I discovered something. In a little while, I said, Lord, I can't make it. I was eating my meals at the hamburger stand. Now, hamburgers were nickel apiece. Now, you're too old, too young for that, preacher. Uh, boy, I mean, nickel piece for a hamburger. And I would eat nickel hamburgers and paying 20 cents a gallon for gasoline. Can you imagine? Way back there. And I said, I can't make it on the money. I did what I, I do now. I got down and prayed. I said, Lord, you have to help me. I can't, I can't make it. I got out of that bed in the little attic room where I lived in the third floor of that old house in Memphis, Tennessee. One morning, I walked over the door. On the door is a little white envelope. And I said, what in the world is that doing there? And I picked it up, and it was sealed, so I tore it open. Nothing on the outside tore Inside was a dollar bill. I said, somebody doing something for me? I opened up the door and said, uh, I found a dollar on the door. Uh, did someone lose it? And nobody said a word. I said, well, it must be mine. So I went on, ate two more hamburgers. And uh, I said, boy, this is a living. This is it. Bought another gallon of gasoline. A whole dollar. A whole dollar. And uh, I said, man, if that happened again, that'd be wonderful. Next morning, there it was again. And I picked up 20, 20 mornings, a dollar bill every morning. Every morning, I pick up a dollar. I, I just live my life that way. I said, that's the way it's coming in. I'm going to take it that way. Then after a while, I said, no, this is wrong. I need to thank the person who's doing it. So I put a trap to the door. I said, they touch the door tonight. Put the dollar on the door, it'll wake me up. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, my trap fell over. I jumped up and jerked it open. As it did, there stood the door, a little lady. Had the envelope in her hand. And bending over, ready to put it on the door. Little thing, little short lady. And uh, when I jerked over, it scared her half to death. It scared me half to death, too. And she stayed straightened up. That son, here's your money. If you ever tell a soul, never give another penny as long as you live. Said, Don't worry, lady. That's the way it is. I'll never tell, never tell a soul. Shame me that dollar. And she helped me more. Now, wait a minute. 
Who was the lady? The lady was Mrs. Henry Barker. Mrs. Henry Barker was the wife of the president of the University of Kentucky, a famous school today. He had been the president for many years. Then he died. She moved to Memphis to be her sister. She heard of me upstairs that that boy needs help. She could tell it. And I'm going to help him. And began shoving that dollar in a dollar envelope every morning between midnight and morning under that door. And that was the beginning, way back in the first part of my ministry. Now, here I am after all of these years. And God is still doing the same thing. Amen. People are still shoving money in the door. Amen. And God opens up the windows of heaven, pours out Amen. blessings upon me that I can't even count. And all of it. But you've got to be found faithful in the things that God's called you to do. And you say, Lord, I want to be faithful in doing what you have for me to do all of my life. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to give. I want to do all I can. And be known for your faithfulness and your unselfishness unselfishness in helping others. One more thought. Be known, be famous for your deep concern for others. Be known, be famous for your deep concern for others. I'm not reading it to you, but write down Romans 9, 1, 2, and 3. And write down Matthew 9, 36, the, con the compassion of Jesus. A loving concern for people. Winning people to the Lord, a loving concern. Be known for that. Let, let people know it. Let it be your reputation that you're a soul winner. Let people know that you're interested in getting people on the bus to come to Sunday school Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And you're doing it all for the glory of God. And you're doing everything that. Would you listen to this? Last year, 7,000 Southern Baptist churches didn't have a single convert. Not a single baptism in 12 months. In 12 long months, there were 7,000 of them that didn't have one convert nor one baptism for 12 months. They had preachers, had buildings, had it all. Not a convert. I go to churches now where they haven't had a convert in two years. I've gone in and preached where they haven't had a single soul down the aisle. I've gone in churches where they've been at three years and never used the baptistry. And I've had people saved. They were waiting to be saved, but nobody, nobody cared for them before. Nobody tried. Now you be famous and be known for your deep concern for others. Let people know how you feel and that you want them to be saved and you want to point them to the Lord and want to get them to the Lord Jesus Christ and let God use you and God bless you. Be famous for your concern for souls, for concern for other people. I had a meeting with a dear man known to all of you by name in our church. Dr. M.R. DeHaan. Remember that old famous doctor, medical doctor? Became a great Bible teacher on radio, back in radio days. And uh, I had him with me a number of times. And I'd go pick him up at the motel and bring him out to, to the church he'd preach. And I loved him. A quiet, gruff kind of, kind of, kind of gruff, you know. Not much, not, no joking about him. No, not, much, not much laughter. He was pretty serious all the time. But M.R. DeHaan. I went out and picked him up one night at the Reed House Hotel, brought him out to church, and I said, now, when you finish preaching, I'll take you back, take you back to, to your room. And he said, all right. And that night he preached, preached a magnificent sermon, gave an invitation, many were saved, came down the aisle. I was dealing with converts down the front, and I got tied up there talking to some uh, people getting saved, and, and I had noticed that the crowd was gone. They had the benediction. I was still dealing with converts to the front. And uh, I kept staying with them until after a while. When I finished up, almost everybody had gone. And looked right over the Honda. Couldn't find him anywhere. I said, well, I guess he caught a ride back to the hotel. 
and had gone on by himself. And I started to leave the church by the back door. Back to our home was on the back of the church, right back of the church. I started to go out the back door. When I did, I suddenly heard that voice of M.R. Hunt. You couldn't miss it. Way down low, really growling voice. And I heard him. I said, what in the world? I went back in the building. That old auditorium, big long auditorium with a big balcony all the way around. And uh, I stood there and I listened. There's the voice. I heard it again. I walked back through the, through the aisle, way back. And when it got all the way back to the back of the building, and the lights had been turned off. I heard that voice, and then I heard a little response coming from another voice. I walked on back, and on the floor, between the last bench, like your last bench, and the wall, down the floor was M. R. D. Hahn, the famous doctor, and a man. He was leading a man to the Lord. And, brother, he was giving it to him, and the gospel, and he prayed with him. And said, will you now trust Christ? And the man said, yes, I will. And both of them were crying. They stood to the feet. The church house empty and I was there. And they were behind the last bench back there in the church, down back of the bench. And old M.R. DeHaan standing up there, famous radio preaching all around the world. And wiping tears away in the fellow who had led to the Lord the same way. A deep concern for others. I said, Dr. DeHaan, I meant to take you back to your room. He said, it's all right. He said, you were busy down front. And when you got busy down front, I decided to walk out the front door and see if I could find somebody to talk to. I stepped on the sidewalk, and this fellow came walking down. I said, you're a Christian? He said, no. He said, come on here. I sure you had to be saved. That's the, way, that's the way he worked, too. He said, brought him here. We got on the back of that last bench, back of the last bench on the floor. I took my Bible. Read to him from the word of God. And then I prayed with him. and said, will you accept the Lord? He said, yes, I will. And in tears, I accepted Christ. He said, uh, I just wanted to be busy doing what I could for the Lord. M.R. DeHaan, famous name by people who know Bible teachers, radio days and so on. But interest in soul. Now be famous. Be famous for your concern for others. I, I've hurriedly gone over this, but let me just review, just so in your thinking, just think, if you will. Be famous, be known for your faith in God. Be famous, be known for your purity of life. Be famous, be known for your faithfulness. Be famous, be known for your unselfishness. Be famous, be known for your deep concern for others. Be famous. And you can be in a hard Desperate, uncaring world you can be. Every one of you can be outstanding. Every man, every woman. In a world like ours. You see, you're, you're distinct. You're, you're, you're different. Here are the great thousands of San Francisco up here. Many thousands care nothing about God. Nothing about Christ. They don't have the peace that you have. They don't have anything at all. They miss it. They need what you have. And around you, other towns, everywhere, big cities all around you here, and you give the gospel and let it be known. Be famous for what you are and be a child of God, unashamed, unafraid to stand for him any place, anywhere, anytime, and give your best to him always. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, 
Visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.